Overeating says it's good to come back together again as we continue to do our study on the tabernacle of Moses. Uh, we're going to be turning to lesson uh, number 11 in your book if you have uh, one of the uh, syllabuses or textbooks. I know some will be joining us uh, by that of recording um, there with a podcast. But also, uh, it's good to be able to be back with our Destiny Bible uh, School uh, students or college. As we turn to page 75, we're, we are going to be talking now about the significance of colors. Now, in some aspect, we've already talked about colors. And when we think about the metals, uh, the brass color, of course, silver and even gold and the importance of that. And in Proverbs chapter number 25 and verse number two, we find these words. It says it is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Now, what I want us to emphasize further that the book says here that God has concealed truth in the symbolic use of created things is obvious. One of the essential helps in understanding the tabernacle of Moses is seeing that God used natural material things to symbolize and typify great spiritual truths. And I believe that we uh, can definitely see that with the uh, metals. We can see that with the uh, colors. And we want to talk about some of the colors now. As we continue to go through this lesson, uh, as we've said before, we will not be able to read and, and cover every aspect of the syllabus. We encourage you to read it. Also, I want to encourage all those uh, that are with Destiny Bible College to use your the tabernacle fold-out as I'm holding it up here. It will give you right much insight. And if you do not have one of those, uh, please uh, inquire about getting one. And I believe it will be a great help. And we may even refer to it as we study today. Let's go and continue to think about the uh, colors. There's several colors here that we'll be talking about. The first one is scarlet. And scarlet definitely represents that of red, uh, the, the color red. Uh, but it also represents sacrifice. It represents uh, suffering. And definitely we can make the connection of how that it applies to the symbolicness of the blood of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And of course, we cannot uh, comprehend even the works of the tabernacle and even the temple without the fact of, of how that uh, there had to be sacrifices uh, for the remission of sin. There has to be sacrifice. There has to be blood uh, shed. And we know that God did the first sacrifice with Adam and Eve when they fell in the garden. And God gave them clothes so an innocent animal uh, blood was shed. Now, when we look at the thought of the color of the uh, the, the color of blood and what it speaks of, of, of the blood atonement, a sacrifice, and Jesus' sacrifice or sacrificially suffering, um, there's scripture in that of Job 25 and 6, and I don't think it's in our syllabus, but I want to go to that. I meant to have already turned to it, but you may want to turn there. And of course, there's a passage of scripture in Psalms chapter 22 also in verse number 6. Now, there is uh, synthetic. There is uh, ways that now uh, some colors are being made synthetically or by that of chemical process, but a lot of, of our uh, original colors have, have came from that of plant. Also, even what's interesting here, how that uh, Job speaks of the worm, the worm. And in chapter number 25, in verse number six, as I turn there, it says these words. Um, it says these words, how much less man that is a worm and the son of man which is a worm now these are questions that job is asking but as we think about it um or being asked in, in the book of job how much less man that is a worm and the son of man which is a worm now we know that jesus was the son of man and we're even called the son of man but 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 there again we we see that it's talking about how um even if Jesus came and was recognized as, as a worm, um, we understand that the uh, color scarlet would have came from that of a maggot or a type of worm. 
and also uh, from the Greek, we can understand that scarlet means a kernel of seed or corn, and we know that Jesus even spoke about that in the book of John, chapter number 12, and especially verse number 24, and we can understand that scarlet includes the color crimson. And, of course, we know this, the, the, the similarity there, or we get the color of red in, in the representation of blood. Um, other, other colors are mentioned, and we're going to go into some of those, but I wanted to read Exodus 25, and it's here in your syllabus, verses 4 and 5, in blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen, goat's hair, and the ram skins dyed red, and the badger skin, skins and shittim wood. Now, we'll be talking about some of these things in just a little while, about uh, the um, the skins and the hair and these kind of things. But also, we understand that the, the colors are important because not only these other items represent something within the, ten, within the tabernacle uh, workings, uh, and which, of course, betrays Christ in every aspect, pictures after pictures. And so, with that being said, Let's look at uh, chapter uh, 9 of Hebrews in verse 19. It says, For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people. So we can see how the blood was needing to be uh, sprinkled or applied and how that, that was carried out. And then even the representation of even scarlet wool that that uh, that assisted with that. As we continue to go on, we can see some references even to that of blood. We can see in Revelation chapter one and verse five, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Now, what I think is interesting is how that the actual color scarlet which we get the representation for the blood came from that of an insect or a worm and even christ himself is called the worm and thank god for that that symbolicness of there of how even in the lowest uh, calculation that we might want to look at it in that terminology that it even speaks about how that jesus shed his blood or the color of the crimson red, or how even the dye of, of, of crimson or, or that of scarlet came into existence. We find also that um, in Exodus 12 and 23, of course, we see the Passover. We see, for the Lord will pass through the, and to smite, smite the Egyptians, and when he sees, seeth the blood upon the lintel and on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer the destroyer to come into your house, houses to smite you. And we see the representation even there in Passover of the cross. We see the lintel, the door lintels, and how that the blood was applied uh, by the hyssop, uh, a paintbrush or a plant that was used for uh, to, to apply the blood, and how that those of the Jews were safe on the other side, inside, covered by the blood of Jesus. Just look behind me, the door that I have there. Just imagine if we had uh, blood on both sides of the door and above it, and it would represent the covering of what is inside uh, that door, those that were inside. And that even gives some representation of Jesus being the door that we've already spoke about and how there was those entrances into the very tabernacle uh, outer and then the sanctuary and then definitely the Holy of Holies. Let's move on and think about a few other colors here as we move into our study here. In uh, the next part is the blue. There would have been blue, and we see some of these colors even in the doors. We see it in uh, throughout the tabernacle being uh, made application. Uh, the Hebrew word for the blue means deep blue, uh, uh, the color of shellfish. The dictionary definition is the pure color of the clear sky the hue between green and violet in the spectrum. Uh, as the sky above is blue, thus the reason for blue defining that which is heavenly. So we get an understanding of the heavenly. Uh, it is also represent, represents Jesus' heavenly origin, and I think that's important because when he come from earth, he came from heaven, and so heaven's best. 
And then 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 49 says this, And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. The image of the heavenly speaks of Christ's nature. So that's important to uh, emphasize. In uh, Exodus 25 and verse 4, it says, And the blue and the purple and the scarlet and the fine linen and goat's hair. So we could see where it's making some reference to that of the blue in the tabernacle uh, lining up with the other colors and also the fine linen and the goat's hair. We find that uh, even the priest, they would have had the color blue on their garments. The high priest wore an outer uh, garment, a solid blue, over his white uh, robe. Uh, he was the mediator between earthy and the heavenly. So the high priest uh, wearing that blue and, of course, wearing the white for, uh, and, and we'll talk about white in just a second, about purity. We, we find how that it's given that connection of how even the priest was making uh, work and, and intercession uh, and, and the sacrificial uh, were earth and touching heaven and heaven touching earth. We will move on to that of the, uh, the white. White represents the, the purity, the holiness, and righteousness. Definition uh, from the dictionary would be of white, the color of pure snow reflecting nearly all the rays of sunlight. Just think about that, that uh, uh, the color of white or in the pureness of even snow, it reflects nearly all the rays of sunlight. Um, white linen was not, excuse me, was used a lot in the tabernacle and in the priest's garments. Linen in Hebrew means bleached stuff, white linen. So we can even understand how that uh, linen was very much used in the tabernacle and even in the uh, uh, that of the gate itself. Not the gate, but I mean the, the fencing uh, of the white there that you can see uh, surrounding the tabernacle uh, with all the, 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 the posts that would have been also represented, but the, the surroundings of the tabernacle, if you can see where I'm showing the, all the white, the fencing. So... Even that gives us an indication that the very uh, approach to the very tabernacle was represented, was bringing a representation of purity or entering into a place of coming into purity and holiness and righteousness. Um, Daniel chapter 12 and verse number 10 says this, uh, a scripture that's re related to purity, many shall be purified and made white and tried. Uh, Isaiah 118, a very familiar scripture, come now and let us reason together. Saith the Lord, though your skins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. I'm glad that he'd only just cover us with his blood, but he washes our sin away. And also uh, we're made white, white as snow. Um, in Revelation 12, uh, we find a very familiar scripture that they overcame him by the, uh, by the uh, blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And so we can see the significance of the blood and us becoming saints. In Psalms 51 and 7, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. So there's the significance of the purity and the whiteness. And there's nothing be more beautiful than to look at a, a fresh fallen snow uh, before anything has touched it. And uh, how beautiful it is and even how bright it is in the sunlight. We find um, some scriptures that are related to that of holiness. In Matthew chapter 17 and verse number 2, And was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. Then Daniel chapter number 7 and 9, I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment uh, was as white uh, as snow. There's uh, several things here that we can continue to go on and talk about uh, in, in the realms of the white. Uh, but we do need to also understand that uh, um, in, in, in thought of ourselves, we must let our garments be white. It is up to us. When we are born again, we are made righteous instantaneously in our spirit. 
but God wants us to be white in our soul and body also. This is the work of sanctification. This is where we must attain. Now, that's something that is a continual work. I do believe in a work of sanctification. I do believe that, that, that we can see from the scripture that a person is sanctified when they're saved. I believe there's a work of sanctification, even going into that of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I can give you a personal testimony, but I won't at this time, of how that uh, I walked into a realm of sanctification before receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Uh, but I was already sanctified in the aspect of being a believer. And then it's a progressive work. Uh, it's a progressive work because our final sanctification is going to take place when Jesus comes. We're going to be sanctified. We're going to be changed in twinkling of an eye. In Revelation chapter number 15 and verse number 6, it says, And the seven angels came out of the temple, saying, excuse me, having the seven plagues clothed in pure and white linen and having their breasts girdled with with gold girdles uh we can see many times where there was mention of angelic of that of angels um uh and them being in white we want to move to gold and we talked about gold in the in the fact of of the uh things in the holy of holies but there again let's make a reference to it gold it represents god's divine nature and character so we can see that the greatest quality of, of that of value that we even recognize today is gold. And so with that, we see in Revelation uh, chapter number 1, and verse 13, and in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one likened to the Son of Man, clothed, what? Let's go back to white. First of all, with a garment down to his foot, but he was clothed with a garment down to his foot and girded about the paps with a golden girdle, a golden girdle. In uh, uh, Exodus chapter number 28, verse 34, a gold bell and a pomegranate, a gold bell and a pomegranate upon the hem of the robe around about. That's representing the fact of what took place when the high priest once a year would have went into the Holy of Holies. He was the only one that could enter in. And we do know that Jesus did the final act of that going into the Holy of Holies when uh, the Spirit went in and the blood was applied to the mercy seat when Jesus cried out, it is finished, and he commended his Spirit unto his Father. We understand that in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 14, I believe it is number 14, where it talks about the Spirit took the blood and applied it to the mercy seat. And we know that veil was rent there in the Holy of Holies at that time. So gold represents the very character. It represents the very uh, ultimate presence of God. Then we have silver. We've talked about silver. We find in Exodus 25 and 3, and this is the offering that uh, offering which uh, ye shall take of them gold and silver and brass. And those items that the children of Israel were to bring, to bring offering that would assist in setting up the tabernacle was that definitely of gold and silver and brass. And as we've already talked about how that uh, silver represents redemption. We, we've talked about in, in the past lesson how that uh, Joseph was sold for 20 pieces of silver. Jesus was betrayed for 20 pieces of silver and, uh, excuse me, 30 pieces of silver. And uh, we can see the, the redemption there. And uh, uh, there was mention of how the slaves would be uh, redeemed. Uh, through that of the, the, the value of silver. So we can see uh, how the silver is important. Uh, let's look at Leviticus chapter 5 and verse 15 and 17. If a soul commit a trespass and sin through ignorance in the holy things of the Lord, then he shall bring for his trespass unto the Lord a ram without blemish and out of the flock with thy testimony, excuse me, with thy estimation, by shekels of silver. So there was times that uh, in the, in that of the sacrifices, we see where it's talking about if there was a uh, trespass or a sin through ignorance, there would not only be the spotless without blemish uh, animal, but also there would be an estimation by shekels of silver. As we continue to uh, just... Uh, move on with colors let's think about purple let's think about purple 
um, royalty, majesty, wealth. The definition of this from the dictionary would be a color immediate between red and blue, symbol of imperial, royal, or other high rank. Now, we could go and we could begin to uh, think in realms of, of, of things that we know, or you could go and look and see <laughs> this to be true with, with that of, uh, of uh, uh, monarchies and things of this nature, how that uh, the purple would be of, of great uh, significance. Of that of showing the royalty. Uh, this color speaks of the kingship and royalty and the God-man. It speaks of the new creation coming forth in God's people. So it's important that, and I said this earlier, if I can recall exactly how I said it, uh, we need to understand that the tabernacle is a portrait or pictures of portraits and shadows of Jesus coming, but also we need to realize the tabernacle is revealing who we are to become in Christ. And we may miss that message if we're not careful. We uh, see that even uh, with that of uh, Mordecai, how that he was presented with royal apparel of blue and white and with a great crown of gold and a garment of fine linen and purple when the robe was put on him and he was exalted or he was... Um, uh, promoted there in uh, the kingdom there. And he was placed uh, next to the king. Purple is worn by majesties or kings. Let's look to gray. Now, gray is probably uh, a color that could, I don't want to say natural, or not natural, but neutral, but it can be used uh, probably with a lot of other colors uh, in some aspect. Matter of fact, uh, gray is not one of my favorite colors, but it's one of my colors that I like to blend with things like red, uh, certain colors of red, or even black and, and gray. Um, so there's there's several things to think of there. But 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 uh, the the gray itself represents maturity, honor, experience, old age. Uh, it's the same Hebrew word that is translated as hoary. And that gives us an understanding of that, that this aged or matured, or or we think about the fact of someone's hair as they age, turning white or turning grayish. Uh, what I've got left, you can see, and it's a mess. Let me put the hat back on. My wife told me to take the hat off before, <laughs> before I began to teach. I said, there ain't no way. I said, I need a haircut, and my head looks like a mess right now. So my hoary mess. So overlook it. All right, that's just a little humor here. Let's move on. Uh, the, de the definition uh, from the dictionary, a color between uh, white and black, a neutral, uh, and I mentioned that just a minute ago, the possibilities of thinking about it being neutral. Um, in Proverbs chapter 20 and verse number 29, we find the beauty of old men is gray hair. Now, I've seen some people that I thought, really, it just, it just, uh, it, it it was just beautiful. I mean, especially a solid white head of hair. And uh, so uh, there again, um, the hoary head is a crown of glory, Proverbs 16.31 says. So uh, what is actually being said here with the color gray, we think of gray, things being gray, it's a crown of glory. It's, it's a crown. It's, it's a crown of actually saying of maturity. A significance in Isaiah 46 and 4 and even to your old age I am he and even to the hoary hairs will I give you I have made and I will bear even I will carry and deliver you yeah I just had a thought this is not the lesson you know the Bible says that, that God knows even the number of our hairs isn't that interesting have you ever thought about God being a hairdresser that he knows every hair that we have numbered and also he also knows when it begins to change color isn't that remarkable you know and, and then of course the significance as we age we ought to be moving into maturity and, and wisdom then we find that there's the color black now i don't know about you but black is a color that i like i like it as far as to dress and, and wear with black and white black and, and, and burgundy uh those kind of things 
But black, on the general rule, represents darkness, famine, sin, or that which is unredeemed in us. It also speaks of God's judgment. Now, we know that brass speaks of uh, God's judgment. But, of course, we can see the symbol of how that black represents sin, represents famine. The Hebrew definition, dusky, to be dim or dark in color, ashy dark colored, uh, dollar, uh, colored uh, definition from the dictionary, uh, lacking hue or brightness, absorbing light without reflecting any of the rays composing it. There's the thought about it being uh, scriptures for judgment. In Jude chapter, well, there's only one chapter, Jude 13, verse 13, raging waves of the sea foaming out their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. So those that, uh, those that uh, are actually um, reserved for that of judgment, how that it will be blackness, of darkness forever so we can even see the the understanding of outer darkness there um, Jeremiah 4:28. for this shall the earth mourn and the heavens above be black because I have spoken it I have pursued it and will not repent now there's several other scriptures here and I won't take the time because we're gonna to have to move on time is really getting away from us I just noticed that um, scriptures uh, there's scriptures for darkness or total deception. Uh, also, we can understand that scriptures for sin uh, or that which is unredeemed in us. Uh, so we, we understand the reference there. Scriptures for famine in Revelation chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the, be I heard the third beast say, uh, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse, and he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hands. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny. Then uh, we can see how that uh, this is representing uh, the cost of things. And uh, we know this has to do with tribulation. Some of us are going to say, well, in the time frame of this video, uh, the cost of living that has just rose in the last uh, uh, year, a couple of years, and the price of things. But there again, there will be uh, some things during the tribulation and uh, the end time that uh, will be on the rims of famine or will be. We find also the color amber, which represents the glow of God, uh, the glory of God, the brilliance of his presence. God's fire and the brightness of God. I don't know about you, but uh, I can't say that it was necessarily amber uh, or there was a color, but I remember the presence of God one time coming into the sanctuary where we're at. It was almost like a cloudishness uh, and just a very presence and just a, it wasn't loud. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't an emotional move of, of the spirit and people shouting or, or being loud, but it was just a reverence presence and, and, and people were worshiping yet, and they were praying, and God moving on the hearts. Hebrew word, uh, chasimah, bronze or polished spectrum metal. It is important to note the word is uncertain derivation. Uh, amber is a brilliant glowing yellow. So it's not gold, but it's, it's a brilliant uh, yellowish looking color. Um, let's look at Ezekiel 8 and 2 because we won't be able to read all these but it says then I beheld and lo a likeness as the appearance of fire as the appearance of brightness as the color of amber now I think if you've ever looked at a fire and I know you have there's different colors and, and I won't take the time but every time that you see a particular color in the fire, it represents something of the fuel or something of the nature of that fire, how that it's burning, um, which is interesting. So you have the amber color. Um, there is, in the American Standard Version, it says appearance of brightness as it were glowing metal. Uh, from uh, the RSV, like gleaming bronze. 
so we can see the brightness of the color. Then, of course, there's the green, and I think pretty much it's, it's understood that green represents uh, that of growing, that of life, that of vegetation, uh, that of prosperity. Isn't it interesting? Our money has a green tint to it. <laughs> our paper, now, it's got more green ink than it's probably worth the ink. Um, Hebrew definition, the color of vegetable, ve vegetable life. A definition from the dictionary, color of glowing foliage between a yellow and a blue in the spectrum, full of life and vigor. Full of life and vigor. Uh, and it amazes me the different colors of colors. Um, I like green. green. Green is not maybe my definite a favorite, but I like it. I like the fact of being able to get up and look out in the spring and see the, the foliage and, and even the grass and the colors that just blend in with other things and the beauty and showing the vegetation, showing the life. Um, in Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 8, 7 and 8, it says, Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord, for he shall be as a tree planted by the waters. And as that spreadeth out her roots by the river, and shall not see uh, when heat cometh, but her leaf shall be green. So there's life, there's vegetation. Um, and shall not be careful in the year of drought, uh, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. Now that's something we need to realize, that we as a believer are to produce. We are to be producers of fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. It says that it will not cease even when there's a drought because Jesus is the water. Amen. We have the Spirit of God. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord today. Uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 2 and verse number 13. The fig tree putteth forth her green figs. There's so many other scriptures here. Uh, that we could just share, and I encourage you to read all of them, read every one of them. So green is important in the reference of that of the tabernacle. Let's now move to lesson 12. We see in lesson 12, I, I'm not going to go through every one of those uh, numbers, and, and one thing we can definitely say that I think needs to be said here, numbers or math itself or numerology is limitedless. It's limited. It's just like God. He's he's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's he's omnipresent. I mean, uh, God is everywhere. Uh, God is all knowing. God is all all power. Uh, and math itself cannot be exhausted, or numbers cannot be exhausted. We can start with zero, and if we continue to count, there's nowhere it stops. And, I, and there's a point that I can't count. And I'm sure every one of you. But if we went on the internet, we explore and we examine, we can get up into the multiples of the zeros that, that follow. Um, I believe I could count to a billion, but I, I'm going to stop after that. Um, and I don't want to take time to do it. So we find that numbers are significant. But on page number 84, I just want to look through just a few of these and I want to encourage you as you're reading numbers to take notice, especially if they become repetitive. Uh, let, let's give just a couple examples that may not be so much in the lesson, but but uh, there may be truths that are being expounded if we see that numbers are being used definitely repetitive, and then knowing that there is a value to numbers, and then knowing even in the tabernacle and now, to me, to read about the tabernacle or the temple uh, and begin to, to uh, focus on just, okay, this amount of cubics and this much breath and all that, I'm going to tell you, that's difficult for me. Now, one of our instructors, and, and I'll just mention his dear name, uh, Bishop uh, or Dr. Uh, Blaylock, he is a uh, carpenter. He's a construction worker. And, and I, can, I can say this, he probably can almost look at a piece of wood uh, or a piece of material and, and visualize just about uh, how many sixteenths uh, or whatever uh, to the footage or whatever. Now me, I'm going to have to get the measuring stick out and probably I may have to count the, eight, uh, the eights. Uh, but uh, there again, uh, if I just focused on the 18 uh, inches being a cubic of that, I might get lost in the scripture, but it's important. 
but when I read it, I want to read it. Then if I want to go back and kind of get the understanding of the calculation, that's 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 great. But there again, there's so many truths even in the tabernacle with the numeration. Let's look at some of these things on page 84 for just a moment. Definitely one is the unity, God, that which is first, two, witness, division, separation. One of the things about number two that I like is the fact that Jesus used that number and he sent witnesses out two by two. Uh, we find that three meets, meets the uh, uh, meaning of Godhead or the, even the resurrection. Uh, number six is man and Satan. Let me back up. Five is grace, spiritual uh, ministry. Uh, Twelve is divine order, divine government. Uh, eight, I'll back back up, is new beginning. There's so many here. Uh, I just want you to get familiar with them. You may want to take this uh, from your syllabus and make a, a, a copy of where you can use it somewhere more uh, prevalent with your other studies when you're in the Word of God. A reference back to this. Even uh, the last number that's listed here, 144,000, perfection of divine government. And of course, we know that that's even talking about in reference to Revelation, where there'll be the 144 uh, witnesses. There's so many here other that we could go back and look at uh, that just lines up with things that I could just begin to talk about from Scripture, or you could. Uh, 50, Pentecost, Jubilee, uh, just significant things. Um, we could uh, understand that uh, 40 is testing, uh, trial, and how many times in Scripture? Uh, Moses, uh, 40 years uh, uh, increments of his ministry and, and other significant things. We can't go through all of these. But I do want to mention uh, on page 82, it talks about why study the significance. The Bible reveals God uh, to be a God of numbers. Now, I may have already told, uh, uh, mentioned the, uh, somewhat the importance uh, to get a clear understanding of what God's saying, or definitely when we see uh, uh, many times the same number being used. And I was going to give an illustration like uh, Jesus uh, even addresses Peter three times about, do you love me, Peter? Definitely the book of Revelation with the number seven is, is one of the most prominent. But in, uh, listen to this, Psalms 147 and 4, he telleth the number of the stars, he calleth them all by names. God knows the exact number of stars in the infinite space. I think that's wonderful. Um, that God, he, he not only uh, spoke this world into existence and, and, and even the, the galaxies and the stars, but God knows every one of them by name. Man may try to name them, but I'm going to tell you, God knows their name. Amen. Now, let's... Uh, let's Let's look down to uh, point two down here where it says basic principles. If we will follow certain proper biblical principles of interpretation, we will never go into error or extremes or find ourselves out of balance. So all the numbers of the Bible uh, have spiritual significance. A certain number will be our basic foundation. Now, I'm not going to take time to read all these things, but this could be a test question. These number of uh, uh, things here, 10 different things. Uh, that you can consider about the importance of numerology. Let's move on, and let's look at Lesson 13 on page 85. Now, as we've talked about the uh, colors, we've talked about the numbers, we've talked about the um, the brass, the silver, and the uh, and the gold. Let's talk about some of the other things in the temple, or in the excuse me, the tabernacle. Some significant materials used in the tabernacle. These were some things for purpose. They were for cover. They were for uh, building material. There would have been the fine linen. This corresponds with the teaching on the color white that we've already talked about. White White speaks of purity, righteousness, and the light of God. And we can find um, in Revelation 19, verse 8, uh, and also 14, And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. So it represents us as saints and how we will be attired. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen and white and clean. The bride was arrayed in fine linen. A bride comes down the aisle in white. Thus speaks, or this speaks of her righteousness and that she, is, that she has attained to in God. There's much more we could cover there. 
so we can see, as I said earlier, when you even approach the tabernacle, the fencing of it's white all the way around, representing you are coming into that of righteousness, a place of righteousness, an abode of righteousness. Thinking about even the word tabernacle, tabernacling with God. Every aspect of going into that tabernacle, bringing you to that of the ultimate of coming into God's presence. Even approaching it, we see the white fencing where we are to come into. That would have been the goat's hair. These goats were curd-chewing animals with hairy coats. They were used primarily for milk and butter and cheese and meat, as well as for sacrifice. These hair, uh, Their hair was made into containers for wine, um, wine and water into clothing. We will consider, the sacri consider it sacrifice use. Um, it speaks to us of sin uh, offering, his atonement, and Jesus, our, our, our uh, scapegoat. And, of course, uh, you can read those scriptures there in Leviticus 16, 5 through 22, and also Hebrews 9, 11. We understand definitely that uh, even in the time of Jesus and, and the Levitica uh, working, we would have seen how uh, that there would have been the scapegoat that would have been released representing the sins leaving the camp, leaving the nation. Then there would have been the sacrificial animal that would have been slaughtered, the blood poured out. We see that Jesus fulfilled both of those through being the Lamb of God. He was the sacrifice upon the cross, but yet there was uh, symbolic that day that there would have been one that was released. And so therefore we see the symbolicness, but also we see the significance of the truth from these passages of scripture, Jesus was that goat who was killed for our atonement. We see that in Isaiah 53's writings. He also became a scapegoat in Isaiah 53 and 8. He carried away our iniquities. And as I stated earlier, Jesus being the lamb in John 1:29, behold the lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. That's what John was saying. There's going to be the day that that scapegoat is going to not only the lamb will be on the cross, but that scapegoat is going to take the sin away. Hallelujah. There would have been the ram's red, a skin dyed red. These were the skins that were male sheep tanned with oil and used for outer clothing by shepherds. In the tabernacle, it was used as exterior clothing. We find several things how the, 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 the ram's skin uh, being dyed red. Of course, there's the symbolicness of the blood being, being uh, elaborated and spoken. The substitution here, a ram, is substitute for Isaac. Jesus was our ram, our substitute. Then there would have been the badger skin. The, this is, was probably a goat uh, because a badger is known as uh, known uh, because the badger, as we know it, is not found in biblical lands. So there's those that believe that this would have been a goat. Also, speaking of the badger's skin, uh, it uh, would have been uh, his protection. It was used exclusively as a covering to protect. This material speaks to us of Jesus, our covering and warfare and trials. <coughs> Excuse me. We uh, see that there's some other scriptures here, but I want to look at uh, Exodus 26 and 7, excuse me, 14. And thou shalt make a covering for the tent of ram's skin dyed red, and a covering above of badger skin. So you can see in the passage of scriptures of Exodus 26 and 19, Exodus 39 and 34, how that these skins were used to cover. They, they were covering for the tent. They were dyed in red. They were dyed to represent a covering, and they themselves being a covering. Let's move to the Shittim wood. Now, we've already talked about the Shittim wood. We talked about how that it was overlaid not only with brass, but also there was places with silver. They also definitely gold. Uh, wood, the Shittim wood was used to, to, uh, to build uh, some of the furniture and things of that nature. But we need to remember that uh, Shittim would have probably been a meadow or acacia type wood uh, that could be found across Jordan and the Promised Land. Um, we need to realize that 
This wood represents the humanity. Think about that. Jesus came into humanity, and yet he was the son of God. We see the gold and how that the gold had to be overlaid. Even the furniture, it had to be overlaid uh, with the mercy seat and those uh, items in the most holy place and the holy place. The candlestick was made of pure gold. Um, but there again, the shittim wood would have been covered with brass as we entered the outer court and the altar and these uh, items that we've talked about. As we move along, let's talk about the oil. I want to take a little bit of time to talk about the oil and the anointing, uh, not the oil, anointing, but the um, uh, sweet uh, incense a little bit if we can with what time we've got left. The oil, we definitely realize that there would have been the, the menorah or the candlestick or the candle stand uh, and there would have been that of the light going into the sanctuary. Um, and we always understand oil is for the light. Oil is for light. God's anointing is to bring light spiritually. This means revelation and understanding of God his word, and his purpose for his people. Now in Exodus chapter 27 and verse number 20, and thou shalt command the children of Israel that they bring the pure oil, oil, uh, olive beaten for the light uh, to cause the lamps to burn always. So they were to bring the oil, the pure oil, uh, into where it could be brought to the candlestick. The candlestick also for the light and his furniture and for and his lamps with the oil of light. Now, um, the oil would have been uh, produced in a certain way. Uh, and let's look at the Hebrew and Greek definitions of oil. This is on page 87. Hebrew words, yitchar, uh, it means fresh oil. It gives an understanding of that that's fresh. So there would have been the need of fresh oil. We need fresh oil. We need fresh oil in our lives every day. We need the light of God illuminating us which is represented by even the Holy Spirit, or is the Holy Spirit, or the oil represents the Holy Spirit, is a better way to say it. It comes from the root word, say uh, uh, to glisten, to press out. That's very important, press out. Uh, the next thing is uh, shemen, which is grease, liquid from the olive, riches, richness, often perfumed, fat. It, it means the, the, the quality, the, the richness of it. It comes from a root word, uh, shaman, uh, to shine, to make, oily, to wax, fat. The Greek is elanon, the olive, the fruit of the tree or the fruit. We can understand that uh, it speaks of the Holy Ghost, the one that brings light. The Holy Spirit is oil. He is the one that gives us light. As our lamps are burning, the Holy Spirit makes our lamps to shine. So we are to be a light, and he is to be the oil in our light. There's so many things we could talk about that's uh, familiar to us, even the virgins uh, having our lamps uh, trimmed. Uh, the Holy Ghost is the oil we need to operate in this life. We understand. We, 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 he gives us understanding, strength, power. Uh, we are and should be totally dependent on the Holy Ghost. We don't need to be dependent upon ourselves. We need to be filled afresh. There's the fresh oil every day so we can have light, power, strength, and everything essential to make it. Just as the high priest had to tend daily <coughs> excuse me, to the lamp, we must tend to our soul. So it's an everyday experience with God. Let's uh, move on talk about the fact that we are to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And that's by the representation of the anointing of God in the oil. There's several scriptures here that I want you to continue to read. Um, it says, know the Lord intimately, who is the light. There's several passages of scripture here. We can understand that, um, that God gives good gifts and also every perfect gift coming down from above. Uh, the Father of lights, whom is no variation, neither shadow or turning. Uh, Jesus himself said, I come, uh, I, I am come a light to the world uh, that, that whosoever believeth in me should not abide in darkness. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. First John 1, 5. We could just go on and on with that of the fact of the light. 
and, and the oil. Let's continue to talk about the sweet incense, the sweet incense. The sweet incense uh, would have been spices for sweet incense. Uh, the use of incense in Moses' tabernacle was part uh, partly a, a sanitary play, uh, measure. Uh, since the smell of blood, sacrifice, and death from many animals uh, permeated the atmosphere. Just think for the, a moment. Uh, you know, meat uh, cooking sometimes can be, uh, 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 it can be uh, a good smell. But there again, you're working with this all day long, in and out, every day. Uh, so the very uh, sweet incense that would have been burnt would have been imported uh, because it would have been that for sanitary measure, it uh, would have brought a restful, a pleasant, a delight. Uh, it comes from a root word that means rest to settle down, even the word sweet there, talking about being a, a, a sweet incense. The incense was used in worship and was prepared according to exact specifications. It could not be just anything. Of course, uh, it had to be burnt. Uh, and there's some things we can signify here. Worshiping in a closed place, which represents intimacy, as we worship and enter into prior, uh, prior occupants, uh, devils are driven out. The worship becomes sweet only as it is burnt in God's fire. This is dealing with our lives. As we continue on, we can see what does this incense represent. It represents Incense represents prayer and intercession. In Psalms 14, one, uh, Psalms 141 and 2, let my prayer be set before, set forth before thee as incense. So our, uh, so so incense, sweet incense should be like that of intercession, prayer to God. Also, incense is worship. Uh, for for from the rising of the sun even to the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles, and in every place incense shall be offered unto uh, my name, and a pure offering. So we can see where it talks about these things that are referencing how that incense is worshipped. Um, we uh, also understand the fire of God. The incense must be burnt. Um, to make the fragrance. Uh, there's a spiritual application. Every morning, every evening, we should worship and pray every day, every day. Even the psalmist said seven times a day, seven times a day. It, the scripture says in Psalms, it talks about how that uh, how that evening, morning and at noon. Uh, so we, we understand the principles of morning and evening. Even Joshua talked about it in Joshua 1 and 8, how that the word of God was not to depart from our mouths, how we were to meditate, and we're to do it day and night. So we can see the, the importance of how the Word of God is incense itself. Psalms chapter 1 and verse number 2, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Ingredients to the sweet incense. Exodus 30, verses 34 and 38, I encourage you to read that. Uh, we will talk about some of the ingredients. There would have been the stack tea. Um, we understand that that would have been one of the ingredients. Um, myrrh comes from a Hebrew word uh, meaning bitter. Um, some uh, think that uh, this would have been uh, similar to that of myrrh, um, the plant itself. Uh, then there would have been... Um, Okini car, and uh, it would have been uh, like myrrh. I'm sorry, it, it would have been like myrrh also, and it would have been part of the ingredients. And then there would have been gall bandum, and so these are some of the ingredients into that of the sweet incense. And then there would have been frankincense, uh, clear yellow resin that flows when uh, incision is made in the bark of a frank frankincense tree. Other facts about these ingredients. There were four ingredients, and we've talked about these a little bit here, uh, but the importance of that is the number four is the number in Scripture that means that which is created and speaks to us of the new creation man. So there again, there's four ingredients in the sweet incense, 
and it represents worship. It represents coming into the presence of God and new creation. There were to be tempered together. Tempered in Hebrew means to rub, to pieces, to pulsivate, to disappear as dust. This means we are losing our identity and taking on his. Ain't that what it's all about? It's becoming his character. Becoming his character. As pure and holy, God works purity into all of us. All right, there's a lot more here that I really want to cover, and I'm not going to have the time in less than 15 to really cover. But it goes on and talks about the anointing oil in the tabernacle. Every one of us need to and should know all about the anointing of God. The more that we can know about the oil, uh, of the anointing of God, being representative of the oil. Uh, let me just brush some things here to think about. Uh, the oil or the anointing oil in the tabernacle, it was for light. Not only was it for light, but it was, uh, it was also uh, for the purpose of the holy calling of, of ministers and priests and prophets of God. It also was to never be poured out uh, where there was flesh. Now, we know that there was those that were anointed uh, with the oil, but not poured out where there is flesh. And then uh, uh, four... Uh, it holds great revolu revelational truth. Revelational truth. Uh, the oil does. Number five, and anointed the tabernacle and all that therein and shall hallow it and all the vessels thereof. So all the furniture, all the utensils, everything was to be anointed with the anointing oil of the tabernacle for the service. We find also that it speaks of our being sanctified and made holy. We, we see that it also talks about how that uh, uh, not only are we sanctified, but it breaks yokes of the, holy, the, the, the oil wheel. God gives his anointing, not for vain purposes, but to further his kingdom, promote understanding of his word, empower his ministers to preach, to teach, to prophesy, and even do great miracles that God might be glorified. That's important. It is the oil of gladness. God's holy presence should always bring joy and happiness. We ought to look for that. We ought to look for the presence of God to bring joy and gladness to us. Then we can see also how that uh, God's anointing is uh, for that of admonishing us to be careful how that we ought to respect uh, how that we not how that we should not defame uh, God's anointed we're to honor we're to esteem there is to be a reverence we also need to understand God's anointing once again is given for holy purposes as seen in Acts 10:38 how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Folks, we need to realize that that God was with Jesus, his anointing with him was with him, and that's what he wants for us today, for God was with him. This means to have God's anointing is essential to, to have him in a most powerful and manifested way. Let's... Let's focus on God's freshness, his anointing, before we close here in just a few moments. We've talked about the Hebrew words. We've talked about the Greek uh, words for oil and how that uh, there's the spice. We've talked about the myrrh a little bit. Uh, we've talked, well, let, let's talk about the four spices for just a moment on page 96. There would have been the myrrh. There would have been the sweet cinnamon. There would have been the sweet calamus. There would have been the chaos. And you can read more about these, and you can talk. You can see where these were used to make the holy anointing oil for the tabernacle purpose. We we see that each one of these things have a significance in that of where where and how the holy oil or the oil should be used. Um, we understand that it's that that's rubbed on, it's that that's painted, it's that that consecrates. Um, it's that that's poured out. It's that that's overflowed. It's that that we need to realize that we can be fattened, uh, anointed to satisfy. It's that that's rich. Um, 
there's so much more we could go and talk about here, folks. But I want to encourage you to to finish reading this lesson. Uh, the olive oil, uh, the oil of uh, the oil can only be produced when the olive is crushed. And there's so much we could talk about there because actually in Matthew 26 and verse 36, then cometh Jesus with them unto the place called Gethsemane and saith unto his disciples, sit here while I go yonder and pray. Actually, the word Gethsemane means oil press or or olive press. The very place that Jesus would have been praying that night when he was arrested was a place where the olives, and there's olive trees. If you've ever been to Israel, if you've ever been or studied, there is olive trees still growing in that area that believe that are from the time of Christ that have been fenced, and you can see them uh, where they're protected. But there again, olives would have been pressed out. There had to be the pressing out of Jesus uh, upon the cross of Calvary. We find uh, where uh, we were pressed out of measure in in first excuse me second corinthians chapter 1 verse 8 through 10 for we would not brethren have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in asia that we were pressed out of measure above strength insomuch that we despaired even our life but we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves but in god who raiseth the dead Oh, hallelujah, who delivereth us from so great a death and doth deliver in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. How are we delivered? How are we kept? How are we freshly uh, go forth? Is because of his anointing. His anointing. Uh, we may have tests, but I want to tell you, God is our refreshing. He is our refreshing. There's so much more. I want you just to continue to, to read these. It gives you some explanation more about the myrrh. It's the fragrance of the Lord. Um, it itself is bitter. Um, we find that the cinnamon is a precious fragrance. Um, we, we see that even it's interesting how that the women were going to come and they were going to anoint the Lord. Uh, there it is, death. But let me tell you, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the power of God raised Jesus from the dead. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Um, I want you to study these things about these four ingredients, and I believe that they'll be a further enriching in your life, as I see that our time is coming to uh, where we need to stop. Um, we need the anointing. We, can't, we cannot emphasize that enough. We need the anointing. We need it every day. Uh, the Spirit is the anointing and the only uh, that can reveal the deep things of God to us. Um, it gives us revelation and teaches us. These are some reasons why we need the anointing. It delivers us. Every one of us, there's times that we need the yokes broken. We need oppression. And even for others, it sanctifies us. It calls, it calls a, a special call for those to be equipped for service or ministry. It's for healing. We, we understand those scriptures where it says, if there's any sick among you, let them call for the church. Let them call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over them, anointing them with the oil in the name of the Lord. It's not the oil. It's the representation of the Holy Spirit. It's the faithfulness. It's the obedience. Amen. We, we see that it's for a personal sanctification. It brings joy and gladness. Uh, it's to be an inward witness. God takes special care of his anointed. Aren't you glad of that? Great deliverance giveth he to his king and showeth mercy to his anointed, to David, and to his seed forevermore. That's Psalms 18 and 50. Um, we see that he protects and takes care of his anointed because in First Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 22, saying, touch not mine anointed and do my prophets no harm. We find that the anointing brings persecution. Uh, we see that it'll bring us through persecution. Amen. We see that uh, uh, how that oil was different, uh, how oil was the difference in the bride. We see the virgin as a Christian. We see how that the uh, how how we could go in. We could talk about the virgins, but we won't take time to do that today. But we do want to close with this fact or this thought in the latter part of this lesson. It talks about the oil being brought, being bought, 
There is a price for God's anointing. In Revelation chapter 3 and verse 18, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with thyself, and that, that thou mayest see. Buy the truth and sell it not. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding, Proverbs chapter 23 and verse number 23, Matthew 13, 46, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Listen, folks, we need to just remember how that the five foolish went to buy, but the bridegroom gained. If we will stay with the anointing, we won't, uh, uh, we won't be like those foolish uh, those foolish, uh, uh, those foolish virgins. Now is the time to buy the oil. Right now is the time to stay supplied. R with without it, we will not be ready to be uh, the bride. Revelation 19 verses 7 through 9. The door was shut to the bride ship. Those that went out to to make provision for themselves when they should have already been in the provision. The foolish cried, "Open to us." Jesus said, I know you not. That says something right there. Are we walking in his anointing? Does he knows it, know us? Is there a sweet fragrance? Think on that. We need to be watching, preparing. We need to have the provision of his oil now. We're going to close with that thought. There's so much more we can elaborate on. And I want to encourage you, as we will be getting back together in class soon, for the next lessons, but I want to say, in the days and the months and the years to come, studies like this, you need to hold on to them in your library. They are a resource for life that you can go back and study with the Word of God. God bless you. I hope that this has given you uh, a desire to search the things of God in a greater and richer way. May God bless you today.